Well, today we are closing out our series in Ephesians. We have been in Ephesians since the spring. We took a little break over the summer, and now we'll draw to a close today. Our final passage is Ephesians 6, 10 to 24, and Paul begins this passage with the word finally. Finally, be strong. Finally, you may be thinking, yes, finally, we're wrapping up Ephesians. Now we can move on, right? Or finally, Thanksgiving is over. But today, what we're going to see is Paul in this word, finally. These are his parting words to the Ephesians, to the churches around this area. He's concluding his letter, and within these 14, 15 verses here, we're going to see him recap many of the main themes that he's already written about. As you, as you think about the end of Ephesians 6, you probably are thinking the armor of God. That's where a lot of people go when they think of Ephesians 6. We're going to be there today. That's what we're talking about. But these final words to the Ephesians, they give us a reality check. Today, we will be challenged to think and see the world through a spiritual lens. Many times we only see the world physically, that which is right in front of us. Because that's what makes sense to us, right? We can, we can touch, we can see, we can hear, we can feel, we can taste. Those are the things that we normally think about because they are right in front of us. Many times we become so intoxicated with that which we can see, and we soon forget that there is a spiritual realm around us. Many in our world and in our churches, are living life as if we are in peacetime. There's no urgency. We're caught up in civilian affairs, worried about things that don't last for eternity. From sports to bank accounts to fashion trends to social media to video games. These are the things that our minds are set on, our friends' minds are set on, our families' minds are set on, our, community mind, our community's minds are set on. These things that do not matter, these things that only last for a second, and then they're fleeting, they're gone. This is one of the greatest weapons the enemy uses against us. I don't know if y'all have read the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis, but it's a fascinating read. Lewis, what he does is he, he takes the, the vantage point of an elder demon and he writes, this elder demon named Screwtape writes to his nephew. And he writes about all of the different schemes they use to overcome and tempt humanity. And in the Screwtape letters, Screwtape, this demon, tells his nephew that contented worldliness... Contented worldliness, being content with where you are, being consumed with worldliness is one of their greatest weapons. It's their greatest weapon. But, this is what he tells his nephew, it's rendered useless in the midst of war. Because in war, people see the world more clearly. In war, you understand that your life is but a vapor and it can be taken at any time. We are in war. We're in war. We're in a battle as believers. 
There has been no truce between God and Satan. Satan has not waved the white flag. He is still roaming around like a roaring lion seeking to devour and kill. He is a vicious enemy. And Paul here reminds the church to be aware and be ready for battle. Our big idea today, a call to action, our big idea is stand firm. Stand firm in the strength of the Lord, putting on the armor of God and persevering in prayer. That is, that is what we need to leave with today. We need to stand firm. Paul mentions the idea of standing four times. In verse 11, we'll see this in a minute as we read it. In verse 11, in the beginning of verse 13, at the end of verse 13 and in 14, he says, stand. Withstand. Stand firm. Stand. You see, over the past several months, we've been reminded of our identity in Christ in Ephesians 1 through 3. We are new creations in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. You've been saved by grace through faith. You've been given new life. And then what he did in chapters 4 and all the way up to right now is he's encouraged us to walk in a certain way. He said, hey, walk out and live out this new identity you have in Christ. And now today we're going to be exhorted to stand firm in that identity, in Christ, in this battle. We are called to action. I want to read the passage and then I'm going to pray for us. Ephesians chapter 6, verse, verse 10 to 24. This is what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And then he switches gears. He's going to do that final greeting to this church so that you may know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. 
Our Father, as we approach your word now, we pray that your spirit would illuminate our minds, that your spirit would fill us so that we may have understanding of your word. Lord, yes, we see the reality of the spiritual realm here. There is a demonic realm that wants us to be content with where we are, with prosperity, with a, with a peacetime attitude and mentality. But here we see that we are in war. Oh God, would you reveal this to us today? May we be warriors on the battlefield. Soldiers in the fight. For Lord, this is not against flesh and blood. It has much more weighty, weighty things, Lord. It's so more weighty than just these earthly things. Lord, this is eternity. We're fighting for eternity. So God, please give us insight. Give us understanding that we may be ready, that we may persevere, and that we may act. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A call to action. A call to action. How do we stand firm in the midst of spiritual war? How do we stand firm? Well, Paul begins in, in verse 10. Finally, I'm concluding this, this book, this letter. Finally. And then he exhorts the church, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. We stand firm as we are strong in the Lord. This is a call that if, you, if you've read the scriptures, you see this. One of the most quoted verses in the Bible is Joshua 1.8. Be strong and courageous. That's what Joshua is exhorted to be as he's going in to take the land. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Here, Paul says, be strong. This is not within ourselves. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying this is by your own will, but this is in the Lord. Prepositions mean something, right? They mean something in the Scriptures. Be strong. And we could stop there, and many preachers do stop there. And they say, you do it. You be strong. Paul doesn't stop there. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Where does our strength come from? It comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. This is where our strength comes from. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Our strength, our strength comes from the One who has defeated sin, who has defeated death, and who has defeated Satan. It was finished upon the cross. We just sang the song. It was finished upon the cross. Jesus is the victorious Savior, Lord, and King. And that's where our strength comes from. The Lord here is Jesus. Later on, as you saw, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, the Lord is Jesus. That's where our strength comes from. He is victorious. When we try and we work in our own power, we fail. It is only in the strength of the Lord Jesus that we will have victory in this life against the evil one. Against Satan. Because we live in evil days. We're going to see that in a few minutes as well. Our culture. Many times our families. Our friends. 
we think, and we're told this message that we can do things on our own. You can do it on your own. That's the American dream. You do it on your own. And and many times within the church, we try to do things in our own power. We teach in our own power. We serve in our own power. We use our gifts in our own power. And then we're confused. We're confused when we so easily burn out. We're confused when we see those disciples we thought we made leave the church. We're confused when people people walk away from the faith. It's because we try to do things in our own power. Paul here says, be strong in the Lord. You see, when we serve, when we use our gifts with the strength of our Lord, in that strength, there's refreshment and joy. There's refreshment and joy. We saw this in chapter 4. Be strong in the Lord. The way we're strong in the Lord is as we use these gifts that God's given us, we'll build one another up so that we're strong in the Lord. This is a communal action. Be strong in the Lord. We look to Jesus for our strength. The way we remain strong in this war and the way we continue fighting with perseverance against this enemy. Paul continues. He says, we put on the whole armor of God. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. We stand firm as we're strong in the Lord and as we put on the whole armor of God. If you look at verse 11, you'll see why we put on the whole armor of God. There's a reason. Put on the whole armor of God. That's you, right? That you. In order that, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We put on the armor of God so that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is a schemer. He's a tactician. He's looking to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to disrupt our lives. He wants to cause disunity, friction within the church. But Paul says here, by putting on the full armor of God, we can stand against this foe. Paul goes on and he tells us, he describes this enemy to us. First of all, he says that he's a schemer, he's a tactician. He's careful in his strategy. He's planned out. And his end is to destroy. He desires, his end is glory. He's a glory stealer. He's glory hungry. We, saw, we see that in the fall. When we see Satan, Satan falls because he wants to be God. That's his desire. And he's working to make that happen. Paul says also, not only is he a, a tactician or a schemer, he's a wrestler. He's a wrestler. Verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We are in a battle. We are in a wrestling match. This word here, wrestle, is not, is not uh, kind of like our, war to, our wars today where they're shooting on both sides and people are killing each other from miles away. This is hand-to-hand combat. This is a close struggle. Our wrestling against him is not flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. That's what Paul says in verse 12, but then he gives us some descriptors. Well, what is it against, Paul? 
Well, he says it's against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is against the demonic. There is a demonic realm that is looking to take over all things. They want to be in control. We see this in the Gospels and in Acts. There is demonic action throughout the Gospels and Acts. Jesus is going through and he is casting out demons. These demons are stirring up strife and conflict. They're possessing people and causing them to hurt themselves and others. This demonic realm is real. It's real. And yes, they have power. They're rulers, they're authorities. They're spiritual forces. They have power. But we know the end of the story. They're defeated already. They're defeated. We are living in victory. Our battle, our daily battle against these rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces is defeated. We battle against a defeated foe. So Paul, Paul gives us a little explanation of who our enemy is. He says it's not against flesh and blood. It's in the spiritual realm. But then Paul goes on and he says, take up, put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13 and verse 11 are parallels. If you go back and look, put, up, put on the whole armor of God, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able, that you may be able. That's what he says in verse 11 and 13. In verse 11, he says that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In verse 13, he says that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Again, we see this, uh, this idea of standing firm. He desires for us to stand firm, and we stand firm by putting on the armor of God. This evil day, yes, it can mean a, spe a specific day that's coming, our present age, like where we're living right now until, the cri until Christ returns. One, one commentator says he believes that it's specific occasions where we are in the midst of a full-out onslaught against the enemy. Those specific occasions where he is coming at us with those fiery darts, where he is in a full-out onslaught on us. I, I, I seem to think it's, it's more of a combination of, yes, this present age in which we live, this evil day. We know this. Christ is returning one day. And then Satan will be, will be done away with. And then I also believe that it could, it could be those, those occasions of extreme attack. There's evil days. There are times when we are brutally attacked by Satan. The good news is that we have armor to protect us. We have armor to protect us. And just like the strength that we have comes from the Lord, again, look what he says. It is the armor of God. This is God's armor. It's his armor that he provides, just like it's his strength that makes us strong. So let's zoom in on this armor for a few minutes. As we go through each piece, you're going to see a lot of, lot of words, a lot of passages on the screen. This is for later Bible study. If you want to take this, um, I, I adapted this from Dr. Lawless. He's a, he's a professor at Southeastern. 
He wrote a book called Discipled Warriors. And I really, I really appreciated what he did with the, with the armor. He said these, this armor, the truth, righteousness, all of this armor, it's actually seen throughout Ephesians. So that's what the verses are beside each of the, each of the pieces of armor. They're, they're verses that mention truth throughout Ephesians, and he's just connecting the dots for us. So I'd encourage you to take a picture, write them down, so that you can go back and look at these. I'm going to zoom in on a few. But then also what we see is that this armor of God is also seen throughout Isaiah. Paul, it, it seems as if Paul has some of the pictures, the imagery, the analogies in Isaiah in his mind as he's writing this. The belt is seen in Isaiah 11. The breastplate is in Isaiah 59. The shoes are in Isaiah 52. The helmet is also in Isaiah 59. This armor is for the battle. So we, we see first, Paul says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. This belt of truth, it's fastened on. It is ready to go. We're ready for battle. This, this belt of truth, this idea of truth we saw in 113, 4.15. In 4.21, Paul says that the truth is in Jesus the truth is in Jesus. So this belt of truth, as we put on this belt of truth, what it's reminding us of is that we need to know Christ who is the truth. He is the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. The truth, trust, trust the truth of God's word. Paul is going he's gonna, to he's gonna wrap this armor up with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's where our truth comes from. It is the Word of God. This belt of truth is that which we know to be true. Those things God has revealed to us in His Scriptures. And then, as we put on this belt of truth, we are to live out this truth. We're to live out this truth. We saw this in, in chapter 4. Walking in honesty and integrity. This belt of truth. Second, Paul moves on and he says, uh, he says uh, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Here we have this, this breastplate of righteousness that is protecting us. Right? A breastplate, it protects our chest, it protects our vital organs. This breastplate of righteousness. Yes, this, can, this could mean the righteousness that has been given to us in Christ Jesus, but I think it's more practical to see because of where Paul has been is that this righteousness is just that idea of right living, walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. In, in Ephesians 4, 24, Paul says, And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, living now, putting on this new self so that now we can live in true righteousness. We can live a life of holiness. We can make righteous choices. We can imitate God. This breastplate of righteousness. Third, Paul continues and he says and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace these are gospel shoes put on these gospel shoes go forth declaring the gospel we see that the gospel here is explained with this word peace 
this gospel of peace. If you remember back when we were in Ephesians 2, 14, this is what Paul says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's taken, in verse 15 it says, he's made peace. This peace is made through reconciliation. So yes, these gospel shoes provide shoes where we can stand firm in the battle, but also we should be willing and ready to share the gospel, share our faith. The readiness given by the gospel of peace. We're to make disciples. We're to be willing and ready to share this gospel that transforms lives. This is what we want to see at King's Church. We want to see our community reached with the gospel, and that's going to be by people who are ready to share the gospel, who are lacing up their gospel shoes each and every day, who are ready to share this beautiful gospel of peace with those around us. We want to see a multiplication of disciples, leaders, and churches. And this is going to be done by us taking the initiative, initiative and going and sharing the gospel with people. We want to go where God calls. We're ready to go. We want to take this gospel and have beautiful feet as Isaiah says in chapter 52 and as Paul says in Romans 10. We want to have beautiful feet because we have this gospel of peace that goes forth and pushes back darkness. You see, these cosmic powers, these rulers, these authorities, they're afraid of this. The gospel brings life. We proclaim God's peace everywhere we go, even in the midst of spiritual battle. Yes, we are in war, but we have a gospel of peace. We have a gospel of peace. We have gospel shoes. We have a belt of truth. We have breastplates of righteousness. And then Paul exhorts us. He says, in all circumstances, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darks of the evil one. The Roman soldier... I was reading, had two shields, a little shield and a big shield, kind of like the size of a door, right? That's what Paul's talking about here. It's a big shield, and we're holding it in front of us, and it's the shield of faith so that it can, it can take on these fiery darts from the evil one. This shield of faith, it helps us extinguish the flaming darts. This faith idea is knowing and trusting God's promises. Knowing and trusting God's promises. We act in accordance with assurance that God will keep his promises. That's what we do. We we have faith. We're a people of faith. We trust this God who has saved us, this God who's created the world. We trust him. And as we trust him, and as we put our faith in him, and as we act in accordance with what we know about God, we will extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. How does the evil one attack you? How does he come after you? What are the flaming darts that he uses in your life? He assaults us. He tempts us. What are those temptations? What are those assaults? Is it doubt? Do you doubt his promises? Is it despair? For many of our brothers around the world, it's persecution. For us here in the States, it can be false teaching. 
What are those darts that he attacks you with? The shield of faith will help us extinguish those darts. And then the helmet of salvation. He says, take the helmet of salvation. This protects our minds. This protects our heads. This is, this is having God's salvation, living with hope, knowing, knowing who we are in Christ. This is what Paul's been arguing for, for all of Ephesians. This is who you are in Christ. You've been saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8 tells us. Ephesians 5.23, we saw this a few weeks ago. Jesus is our Savior. He's the one who provides the salvation. We think differently than the world thinks. We put on this helmet of salvation. Our body is protected. These are the defensive, these are the, 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 the pieces that are protecting us, right? This belt of truth, this breastplate, these gospel shoes, this shield of faith, this helmet of salvation. And then now Paul tells us, hey, this is how you go on the offense. This is how you attack. He says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. We've been told that we're sealed by the Spirit. We've been told to be filled with the Spirit. We've been told that the water washes, or the Word washes us clean. This sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. This is our weapon against the evil one. And we believe, we believe that it is inerrant. We believe that it is infallible. We believe that it is truly God's Word. It is breathed out by God and it is useful to mature us. We want to know God's Word. That's how we fight against the evil one. That's why we preach through the Bible. Right? That's why we're taken, and we've taken 20 plus weeks in Ephesians to preach through this so that you'll know and you'll understand, so that we can hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against God, so that we can hide it in our hearts that we can, we can fight temptation. We want to know God's word. We want to proclaim and teach God's word. We're about to finish up this year. We have, we have four more weeks left in this, in this calendar year. Do you have a goal? For 2022, are you going to read the Bible through? Are you going to study a, a passage of Scripture? Are you going to memorize a book of the Bible, a passage in the Bible? Are you going to meditate on the Bible each and every day? Let's, it's okay to set goals. Let's take the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Let's set goals to know it and to practice it, to proclaim it, to teach it. This armor is not from us. This is our new self that Paul has been encouraging us to put on from chapter 4. In Romans, Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus. All of this armor, as we've been walking through, is exemplified in Jesus. He is truth. He is righteousness. He is salvation. Our faith is in Him. Right? Put on Jesus. One question I have for each of us this morning is that have you put on Jesus? <laughs> have you put on Jesus? Paul in Ephesians 2, he tells us who we once were. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were actually, listen to this, listen to this. We were following the prince of the power of the air 
the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience. We were followers of the evil one. We were children of disobedience. This tactician, this schemer, we were followers of him. And then Paul says, but God, but God being rich in mercy, but God, he saved us. You see, Jesus, his truth, his righteousness, he is our salvation. He took our sin. He took our disobedience. And it was nailed on the cross. He was punished. He took what we deserved. He took our death that we deserved. And now in him... We can have life if we'll turn from our sins and put our faith and trust in him. You see, this spiritual realm makes no difference to an unbeliever. They're caught in it. They're blinded to it. They're living in it. But for those who have new eyes, new minds, new hearts, new life, we want to be concerned with this. We want to understand this because we want to fight. We want to battle well. My call today is that we would put on the Lord Jesus. And then as Paul finishes listing out the armor, he includes one last element. This element is to be constant in our battle. Read with me in verse 18. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit. A call to action, how do we stand firm? Yes, we be strong in the Lord. Yes, we put on the armor of God. But lastly, we pray. We pray. All is seen four times in, this, in verse 18. All times, all prayer and supplication, all perseverance, and all the saints. Paul wants us to be prayer warriors. And he wants us to be praying all the time. He says, in the Spirit, let's pray in the Spirit. Let's be led by the Spirit. This is a natural overflow of us who are filled with the Spirit. Prayer should mark our lives. Do you pray? Do you pray? And yes, if you pray, is it generic or is it specific and intentional? You see, Paul has modeled this throughout Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, at the end of Ephesians 1 and at the end of Ephesians 3, as he's teaching, as he's, as he's writing this letter, he breaks out in prayer. You see, Paul modeled this for us, praying at all times. He's in spiritual warfare. He's an ambassador in chains. We should be a praying church. Yes, we want to pray individually, but we also want to pray corporately. I have a pretty extended quote here. But I'm going to read it. It's from John Piper. And he tells us about prayer, specifically related to war. So I do not tire of saying to our church, the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that they try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. Until you believe that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayers for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. It is though the field commander, Jesus, called in the troops, gave them a crucial mission, go and bear fruit, handed each of them a personal transmitter coded to the frequency 
of the general's headquarters and said, Comrades, the general has a mission for you. He aims to see it accomplished, and to that end, he has authorized me to give each of you personal access to him through these transmitters. If you, straight, if you stay true to his mission and seek his victory first, he will always be as close as your transmitter to give tactical advice and to send in air cover when you or your comrades need it. But what have millions of Christians done? They've stopped believing that we are in war. No urgency, no watching, no vigilance, no strategic planning. Just easy peacetime and prosperity. And what did they do with the walkie-talkie? They tried to rig it up as an intercom in their cushy homes and cabins and boats and cars. Not to call in firepower for conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask the maid to bring another pillow to the den. You see, our lives, if we are followers of Christ, our lives are intense battles. But many times, we live, we live as if there is no battle among us. Paul knew this battle. Paul pleads and asks these Ephesians to pray for him. You see, Paul was the greatest apostle, missionary preacher that has ever lived. Yet he says, pray for me. I'm, in, I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray. Pray that I may speak the gospel boldly. He says, as I ought to speak. This is how we ought to speak. If Paul needed prayer, how much more do we need to pray for one another to be bold in the gospel? We're going to draw to a close in a couple of minutes, but right now, I feel like we need to stop for a minute because we, we've covered a lot of texts. We need to stop. And let's just pray for a second. Let's pray for a minute. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray that we would be strong. Let's pray that we would put on the full armor of God and that we would be bold in seeing the gospel go forth here in Charlotte, but also to the ends of the earth. Let's take two minutes and pray for one another now. You can pray out loud if you'd like. It doesn't matter to me. You can pray quietly. Let's pray. This passage today has been a call to action. It's for us to stand firm, for life is war. We have an enemy, 
that desires to destroy us, but we have an even greater Savior and Lord who is victorious. This passage has given us a clear picture of reality. And I understand, I know as I was preparing, even, even now, like I feel the weight of this passage. And I hope you feel the weight of this passage. But as Christians, we have a Savior who offers help in our time of need. That walkie-talkie, right? That walkie-talkie. That's not what was in Paul's mind. They didn't have walkie-talkies back then. But we can pray. We can plead with God. As the band comes up, To finish off this last song, as we rejoice in the gospel, Paul concludes his letter with encouragement and hope. Today, we're going to conclude with encouragement and hope. You see, Paul sent his beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, Tychicus, for a purpose. He says, I'm sending him that you may know how I am and what I'm doing. He'll tell you everything. And then he says... I've sent him for this very purpose. Yes, that you may know how we are, but also that he may encourage your hearts. Paul Paul also sent Tychicus to Colossae to do the same thing. (laughs) This brother must have been just a word of encouragement to people, right? Like Barnabas. As we close today, my, my final greeting in Ephesians, as Paul's final greeting in Ephesians, is let us be an encouragement to one another. Yes, we are in battle, but we have one another. This is not an individual battle. We're not fighting alone. We're fighting together. Let us encourage one another. As Paul here reminds these believers of the peace that they have, the love that they have, the faith that they have, the grace that they have, let us remind one another of the peace, the faith, the grace, and the love that we have in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us do that to one another. That will be a great encouragement. And then also, as Paul finishes this book, he says, Grace be with all, you, all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Paul reminds the Ephesians of their love for Jesus. Let us remind each other of our love for Jesus. But also, as we began Ephesians, we were reminded that Revelation 2 is an indictment on this church in Ephesus, that they lost their first love. They lost their first love. Here he points out, you love Jesus. But just a few years later, that indictment comes, you've lost your first love. Let us love Jesus and encourage one another in this endeavor. For we are in war and we drastically, radically need one another. That's the purpose of the local church. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise. We thank you for a little dose of reality this morning from the Apostle Paul. Father, may we battle together. May we persevere together. May we be alert. May we strengthen one another as we walk side by side. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.